Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. My name is Will Harper. Uh, This is my wife, Chelsea, and we are partners here at Old Town Church. Uh, We will be doing our scripture reading for today. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Old Town Church. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors. I want to maintain the jacket uh, this morning, right? We'll just consider that the priestly garments for the day. Uh, as I wear that. If you have a copy of God's Word, I do invite you to open with me to Hebrews chapter 10. If you're new with us, we've been in a four-week series called Habits of Grace, where we've looked at several of the habits or rhythms of the Christian life, things like the, living a life that is uh, centered on the Word, living a life that is in prayer. Now, there are other disciplines in the Christian life that are worthy of their own focus, worthy of their own sermon, really, things like fasting, sharing our faith with unbelievers, hospitality, so forth. But for our final week, we're going to look at life and fellowship. What does it mean to be in fellowship with one another? And so with that in mind, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. But Father, we do thank you for your word, which doesn't return void. Would you do a work in us that only you can do? Would you elevate our eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus, our bridegroom? And would you give us a deeper love for his bride, the church? Do what only you can do by your spirit, through your word. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. A recent commercial for a new cell phone, I saw this over uh, Christmas, advertises features that allow you to manipulate photos that you take. Now, maybe you have this phone. You can take a photo, and then you can move somebody's position in the photo. You can actually change their facial expression. You can erase entire elements of the photo. And the goal, right, is just to get that perfect or ideal photo. This is very different than the goal that photos used to have, right? We used to take photos to remember things as they actually were. We wanted to capture the memory, so we remembered this is exactly what happened and how it happened. Now, it seems we take photos to create memories that never actually were at all. Maybe we feel like the picture we took wasn't good enough, maybe it doesn't meet our desires, doesn't live up to our expectations. If you've ever tried to pose little kids for a picture, then you know there's no such thing as an ideal photo. 
Well, sadly, we tend to trade the real for the ideal when we do this, right? And unfortunately, we do the same when it comes to the church. We were made for community. In a great sense of irony, we're more connected than ever, and yet we face what one news story called a loneliness epidemic. We want in our hearts to be truly known and to be truly loved. We want to belong. And so we turn to other things like social media and political parties, fan bases. There are whole groups of people that just go running for some reason. I've, I've learned about that this week. I don't understand it. Uh, so we look for groups to belong to, right? The desire to belong is good. It is a good God-given desire to belong. But many people don't see that God has provided an answer for this in the church. Now, we want to be really clear that there are unhealthy churches. And people have had bad experience with churches. The New Testament is filled with churches who are actually being called out for things like false teaching, people who seek to do harm, people who live in unrepentant sin. But the picture of the church the Bible calls us to is greater than that. The Christian life is a life lived in community with other people. The picture we see of fellowship with God's people is this beautiful picture of love and hospitality, generosity, service, care, devotion, and belonging. This is the kind of community that Jesus is forming through his redemptive work. And that's our main idea this morning, that Jesus is gathering a community that is deeply devoted to him and to one another. Jesus is gathering a community that is deeply devoted to him and to one another. Our passage in Hebrews today helps us see fellowship rightly. It helps us see the church rightly. But before we get there, the author of Hebrews helps us see Christ rightly. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. First, he lays a foundation for us in verses 19 to 21, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God. And we'll stop there. In these verses, the author is laying a foundation for what follows. And he's doing it by pointing us back to the Old Testament. I don't know how many of you have been reading uh, the Old Testament law this week. I assume everybody's been reading that, right? Uh, but specifically, this verse, these verses are pointing us back to the law and to the sacrificial system God put in place for his covenant people. For example, once a year... On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would wash himself with water in a special ritual. He would put on ceremonial garments, and then he would sacrifice an animal to atone for his own sin and the sins of his family. After that, he would then go into the innermost part of the tabernacle to make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, for the community. He was this mediator between God and the people, but he was an imperfect mediator because he himself was sinful. And the animal sacrifices weren't sufficient to atone for sins permanently. And this is the author's point in Hebrews, that Jesus fulfills all of this in himself. He's pointing us to this, that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice who takes away our sin once and for all. He chooses to go to the cross to take our sin on himself. They were laid on him at the cross. And since he was sinless, since he is the perfect sacrifice, he is capable of taking on sin fully and completely. He who knew no sin, Paul writes, became sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. Jesus ushers in a new covenant through his sacrifice. 
His perfect sacrifice fulfills this old covenant once and for all. And he also tells us that Jesus is the great high priest who makes a way for us to come into God's presence. You see, where every priest is insufficient to make this ultimate and lasting sacrifice, Jesus is sufficient. Every priest in history dies, but Jesus doesn't. He dies, but then he defeats death, right? He is the final and perfect mediator between God and man because he lives to intercede for us forever. In just a few verses before we are today, and starting in verse 11 of Hebrews 10, the author points to this. He says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is what he's getting at, right? Jesus, as the priests of, just as the priests of old enter the sanctuary into God's presence to offer sacrifice for sin, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And he enters the heavenly sanctuary to make a way for us to come into the presence of God. And all of this foundation then brings us to verse 19. And now, he says, in light of all of this about Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for sin, as the great high priest, verse 19, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through his blood. Verse 20, we have a new and living way through Christ. Verse 21, we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. Now notice the we language here. The priest's role was to be a mediator between God and his people. And it's the same with Christ. Christ's work as the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest not only saves us, but it unites us. We are bound together with him and with one another. We have access through him together. Jesus' work in his death and burial and resurrection, it forms a people who are united together in him. Now, if you were here for our study in Philippians in the fall, you might remember this is one of the key themes of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, right? That our union with Christ creates unity with one another. And this is what the author of Hebrews is reminding us of. And so then in light of that unity, he then gives us three exhortations noted by the phrase you'll notice in the verses, let us. He says, let us draw near to God, let us hold fast to the gospel, and let us stir up one another. And so let's walk through these together. Number one, let us draw near to God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus has made a way to God as the new and living way. And now we're invited to draw near. This is a beautiful picture, and it's one that we can easily take for granted, right? Remember in the Old Covenant, there was no drawing near to God for the people. They needed a mediator. They needed a priest to stand in between. And unholy people cannot stand before a holy God. But now Christ comes, and he makes us holy. He brings us then into God's presence. We have access 
to God because we have His righteousness. This is an amazing thing. Now, a few weeks ago, at the end of our service, I was standing up here. My older daughter was in the back, and she just casually and confidently walked up here uh, into my arms. Not exactly what Caleb did just a few minutes ago, right? And it was an amazing picture of just confidence, right? Uh, no, no fear to come up here. No concern about what anybody in the room thinks, right? Because that confidence is based on the intimate relationship, right, that I have with my daughter, that Brian and Caleb have. That's the kind of confidence we come with. In Christ, we have a new relationship with God. He is our Father. Last week, Pastor Matthew noted this in Mark 14. He prayed, he, talking about Jesus in the garden, Jesus praying, calling out, Abba, Father. Right, this wonderful, intimate picture. And we have this same relationship now. We're not only brought into his presence, we're brought into his family, and we get to call God Abba, Father. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart. The word here literally means a heart that is made of truth, that is genuine throughout. It's honest. We draw near to God with complete honesty, right? We can do this because he already knows us so deeply, deeper than even we know ourselves. We don't have to pretend with him. We don't have to clean up for him. We don't have to uh, have, have some sort of uh, false uh, picture that we present to God. No. He knows us, and so we can draw near with sincerity. Siri thinks I said her name. That's not what I said. Come on. We're invited to do this together as well. We draw near to him together as we gather in worship. We draw near to him together as we pray for one another. We draw near to him together as we serve one another. And in so many other ways, as his people, we draw near with a true heart. And we also draw near in full assurance of faith. We don't come in self-righteousness. We don't come because we've made our own way to God. No, we come on the basis of faith in what Christ has done. Our full trust and assurance is in the work of Christ on our behalf. Christian, your faith is not true because of the quality of your faith but because of the object of your faith. If your faith is in him and his work, then it's true. And listen, he's really good at his work. He doesn't fail his work. We can have assurance in his work. This means that when you draw near to God, but you don't feel near to God, you are still in the presence of God because Christ is the one who brings you in. Your nearness is based on him. He's got you. The verse ends with the phrase, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a reference to the practices of the Levitical priests as they would prepare for their service. Just like the priests were sprinkled clean with the sacrificial blood and washed with water before they ministered to God's people, we are under the blood of Christ and we are washed in his righteousness as we then minister to one another. This is our role now. We are priests. The Bible repeatedly calls God's people priests of God. Exodus 19, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isaiah 61, you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. 
First Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Second Corinthians 5, Paul picks up on this, calling us ambassadors for Christ. These mediators, this go-between, as his priests, we draw near to God as we worship him and worship him and intercede on behalf of other people. And we declare his goodness and his gospel to the world in need of him. And this is all the result of faith. This is all in the assurance of faith. I love the way Charles Spurgeon writes about this. He says, how then am I to have fellowship with God and access to his throne? Why simply thus, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. Consequently, we have access with boldness to the throne of the heavenly grace and may come boldly in all our time of need. And what is better still, we are always perfect, always fit to come to the throne, whatever our doubts, whatever our sins, trembling though it be, our faith is true. This is the goal of fellowship. The goal of fellowship is mutual encouragement of God's people to draw closer to him and to one another. This is what we're aiming to do in fellowship. Brothers and sisters, let us consider this question. Let this be something we ask ourselves consistently. How can I encourage someone today to draw closer to God? And so let us draw near to him in our hearts and let us encourage one another to do the same. Number two, let us hold fast to the gospel. Verse 23, he writes, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is a call to hold tightly. It's this idea of, of possessing something, being bound to something, refusing to let go. The author tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope. And so what is that confession? What are we talking about? We say the confession of our hope. This you might be new with us. Old Town Church is three years old. We're a new church with an old message. It's the same message, the same confession, the church has been declaring from its beginning, Christ crucified. Jesus has come. He has come to save a people for himself. And he will come again, returning in glory to reign forever. This is our confession. And we will declare this confession all the way to glory because it is the only one that matters. And the verb here for hold fast isn't just one time. It's this ongoing Keep holding on to this confession. Keep holding on to the gospel. As a community of faith, one of the most important things that we do is to encourage one another to hold fast to the gospel. And if someone in our faith family is wandering off into sin, then it is our privilege and our responsibility not only to encourage but to plead with them to hold fast to the gospel. This is genuine fellowship. This is what family does. This is the goal for all of our spiritual disciplines. Glenna Marshall in her book, Everyday Faithfulness, writes this about these habits of grace, if you will. Our spiritual disciplines don't just benefit us. We don't follow Jesus in isolation. Our growth and our perseverance also encourage growth and perseverance in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us draw near to him and hold fast to this wonderful confession together. And let's invite those who don't know him to experience this great mercy. 
as one commentator wrote, to place one's unwavering trust in the unwavering God is not a gamble, but a sure thing. Our God is a sure thing. If you're not a Christian in this room, listen, this is what we're inviting you to, to put your trust in this unwavering God. It's not a gamble, it's a sure thing. Number three, let us stir up one another. Verse 24, he writes, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. To stir up is to motivate, to encourage, literally to provoke. We are to consistently think of ways to lovingly provoke one another to love and good works. Now, the author is not saying here, consider how you can love others and do good works. That would be good and that would be right, but this is something different. Consider how you can encourage or provoke others to love and good works. Focus on helping others love Christ and live faithfully, love and good works. And if others need our help and our encouragement, then it's right to assume that we need the help of others. We need others to help us love rightly, live rightly. We need each other. Drawing near to God should grow our desire to draw near to God's people. And this drawing near is not a burden. This is a, this is a privilege. The reality is that we will either draw near or we will drift away. There is no middle ground. And sadly, too many people will either drift away from the church or they will endlessly drift from one church to another. Often at the heart of this drifting away is the danger of idealism. Remember the photo we talked about at the beginning, getting the perfect picture. I want us to hear what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. This is a lengthy quote, but it's worthy of our attention. Bonhoeffer writes this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build, Christ builds the church. Do you love your dream of the Christian community more than you love the Christian community itself? Do not make an idol out of what you wish the church looked like or what you experienced the church before to be. See how God is at work in the church now. Recognize her glorious future. God is at work redeeming his bride. And we in this church, Old Town Church, get to be a part of that redemptive story. And so with that in mind, I wanna give us just five practical ways in light of all this that we can stir one another up as a church. Number one, let me encourage us 
to commit to gathering together in worship. A primary way that we stir up one another is by gathering together. He tells us not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. We commit to gather, primarily in corporate worship, what we're doing right now. The author is tying your commitment to gather with the saints to their good and to their protection. There's certainly benefit to us when we gather, but when we do this, we're doing so in part to be an encouragement to others, right, to stir others up. Now, this is vital for the Christian life. In fact, the Bible assumes this to be the regular rhythm of the Christian life. The Apostle John writes so clearly on this in 1 John 2, starting in verse 9. Hear what he writes. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness. The darkness has blinded his eyes. John is saying that genuine conversion and love for the church go hand in hand. A love for God's people and a commitment to his people are evidences of genuine faith. And the opposite then is true. Anyone who doesn't love God's people is still in darkness. Now, a few verses later, John will address those who abandon the church. First John 2, 19, he writes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John is saying that abandoning the church, abandoning God's people, reveals a lack of spiritual life. If we fail to gather faithfully with his people, we should question whether we believe what the Apostle John is saying or what the author of Hebrews is saying. Nate Aiken, who's a pastor in Raleigh, writes of this passage in Hebrews. This is what he writes. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that if you have made it a habit to forsake assembling with God's people, then you should have no confidence that you are a part of God's people. If you have made it a habit of forsaking assembling together, you not only have walked away from God's people, you have walked away from God himself. This is what John is writing. This is what the author of Hebrews is warning us about. Do not neglect the gathering of God's people. Jesus died for his bride. And so let's value her. Let's commit and devote ourselves to gather together in worship. Let's be committed to a people. Now, some of the practical ways that we can do this, and as we think about the corporate gathering, really simple things. Things like show up early and stay late, right? We start preparing for the Sunday gathering, not on Sunday morning, on Saturday night. So go to bed, right? Get some sleep. Get up with plenty of time to get out of the house without being frantic, right? We are on time for all sorts of stuff, right? Movies and sports and work. And so let's commit to prioritizing the gathering of God's people. When you're here, genuinely ask how someone is doing. Maybe pull them aside and ask how you can pray for them. Look for people you don't know and meet them. Invite them to sit with you. One author wrote, an alone person in our gatherings is an emergency. Let's keep that in mind. 
And even consider how you can pray for the gathering on your way here, right? Pray for the preaching. Pray for the singing. Pray for those who uh, are in attendance that don't know Jesus. Pray for those who are serving, especially those serving in kids, right? When we devote our lives to a group of people, to knowing and loving and serving that group of people, when that is the lens that we see our lives through, then we will have a right view of where everything else falls. Parents, this is an important question for us, right? What are we teaching our kids about the value of Christ and his people? What are we modeling for them? Do we just talk about how important the church is, but we're quick to skip the gathering or make it a habit to be gone? Now, when we gather, we get to enjoy the ends for which we were created. It's a small foreshadowing of the picture of heaven when all of God's people are around the throne, fully satisfied in him, enjoying his endless goodness. And so let's elevate our view of what's happening here as the church gathers in worship. Number two, sing. Singing is not just about me and Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians, we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to encourage one another, to build one another up. We sing to the Lord, but we also sing alongside brothers and sisters to be an encouragement to them. This is one of the reasons uh, that we don't have mood lighting, right? We want to see one another and encourage one another. I think, brothers, I'm going to call us out. I think too many people in churches today, particularly men, will come into a worship gathering and just be unimpressed, unaffected. And I'm calling us, brothers, to do something better to recognize that we are singing about the truths of the gospel. And so let's model our love for Jesus in the corporate gathering. And for all of us, consider how your singing can be an encouragement to the brothers and sisters in this room. Number three, serve the church. When we gather, we do so as active participants, not passive consumers. And so look for opportunities to serve, even if you're not scheduled to serve, right? If you are scheduled to serve, be on time, serve joyfully. But recognize that serving Christ's bride is a privilege. We get the honor and the joy to serve one another. Now, right now in our faith family, there are two areas of service that we need. Uh, we need people. We need more people to serve on our connections team, to be those who welcome in people, who are hospitable, to people as they come to our gathering. If you can hold a door and smile at the same time, you're a great candidate for the Connections team, I gotta tell you. We also need people to serve in kids. And you might say, well, I don't really like kids. I don't wanna, I wanna hang out with kids. It's not really my thing. But the church is a family. And this is a real need of our family. We want parents to be able to worship and we want kids to see faithful adults who are willing to be pushed out of their comfort zone to serve. This is a good thing. So if you're not serving, particularly if you've been around a while, particularly if you're a covenant partner of this church, this is the privilege we have and my encouragement to you. Number four, commit to a small group. This is a primary avenue to live out fellowship with other believers in this faith family. We're not trying to plug a church program here. That's not the goal. The goal is let us encourage you to care for and to walk with a specific group of people as we follow Jesus together. 
You need the presence of other Christians who aren't just physically around you, but who know you, who know your life, who know how to stir you up to love and good works. And so devote yourself to a small group of people who will walk with you, who will encourage you, who will serve you, who will love you. And maybe more importantly than that, a group of people that you can walk with, you can encourage, you can serve, and you can love. Number five, covenant with a local church as a faithful member. Now, this passage should encourage us. This is a beautiful picture of how the gospel unites people together in Christ. But this passage also confronts us. Specifically, it confronts two groups of people. First, this passage confronts those who are dating the church. Those who are around, who are present, who experience many of the benefits of the church, but won't commit. Maybe that's you. The promises that we have made to one another in the church covenant, you are holding away saying, I'm not gonna commit to those things. I want the benefits, but not the responsibilities. There is no accountability because you will not commit to the members of the church and you are not coming under the shepherding care of its pastors. It would be easy at any moment for you to cut and run. We are a covenant community because we have made promises together. And so to enjoy the benefits and the privileges of the church without making those same promises is to consume. Now the church is Christ's bride. He died for her. He gave his life for her. Don't keep her at arm's length. Don't date her for the benefits and refuse to commit to her. The second group this passage confronts is church hoppers. Many come around a church for a season and then hop to another one when it gets hard, when things don't go their way. Maybe that's you. If you're here with some ideal picture of the Christian community and you think this church won't disappoint you in some way or that this church will always cater to your needs or your opinions or your preferences, you will be disappointed. Genuine fellowship is work. Commitment to a people is work. It is hard work. It is messy work. It is long work. It takes time. But it's glorious. It's worth it. It's one of the lessons I try to teach my kids is that worthy things take time. And you will never experience this if your pattern is to jump from one church to another thinking that you will eventually find the perfect fit. And you can never do what Hebrews is calling us to do if you continue to bounce. Church hoppers will never know other Christians well enough to know how to care for them. And they will never be accountable to other Christians to do this. And they will never be able to grow in this under the shepherding care of pastors. Listen, this is so countercultural to our modern day view of relationships. Right? That says if the relationship, the relationship is only worth it as long as it benefits you. It's transactional. We're just trying to get what's ours, right? And if this group over here doesn't help you feel the way you want to feel, doesn't give you what you think you deserve, doesn't look the way you want it to look, or work the way that always puts you first, then just dump it. But that's not the church. In the church, you will never be first because Christ is first. This is about him. 
we covenant together because we belong to a covenant God. He models this for us in his faithful love. And this is what we hold out to people. This is all we have, guys. Gospel and community. That's it. That's what we're holding out and inviting people into. And you might say, well, I've been hurt by the church. I don't trust it. I'm carrying a lot of pain because the church hurt me. Let's be very careful here. The church did not hurt you. A church may have hurt you. Let's not write off the totality of God's people because of a limited experience. To a friend, I understand the pain is real. Hurt is real. I get it. I know it. Some people have had truly terrible experiences at the hands of some pretty terrible churches who might just be churches in name only. Brother, sister, listen to me. Your anger and your hurt over how others have sinned against you is not more righteous than God's anger and hurt over your sin against him. And he pressed in and he reconciled you to himself and he restored what was broken because he loves you. And so let's be pursuers of reconciliation. God's message of reconciliation is through his church and the experience of living out that reconciliation happens in his church. In his book, Belonging, Barnabas Piper writes, the church is the only place where we can heal from the hurt we've encountered in church. And when you do get hurt, don't run, don't isolate. Press in and pursue healing and reconciliation. Let's devote ourselves to the bride for which Christ gave his life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not committed to a local church, this is the call for you. See the church how Christ sees her, his beautiful bride, bride that he paid for with his blood. So come in. Don't keep her at arm's length. Don't stay on the outside looking in. Don't run from her. Don't date around on her. Commit to her. As that great theologian Beyonce said, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it, right? Now, if you're here and you're not a covenant partner of this church, I want to encourage you to take this step. Again, not trying to plug a program, but to invite you into community. In a few weeks on the 4th, we're going to have a Discover OTC class where we talk about what it means to be a covenant partner, our word for member, of this local church. Let me encourage you to join us in that. And if you're in that process with us right now, let me encourage you to keep going. Finish that race. Like, come to the end of that process. Uh, let's make it all the way through and covenant together. The call for the Christian is to be devoted to Christ and to his people in the context of a local church. We're called to encourage one another in this all the more as we see the day drawing near. Keep doing this together until Christ returns for his bride. This is a good thing for us. Nathan Knight, who's a pastor and church planter in D.C., wrote, True Christians endure to the end, and they endure to the end with one another's help, safely protected 
by membership in a church. So find the church that you can commit to through good and bad so that you can stir up others and be stirred up yourself to love and good works. Now, these are just a few of the things that we can stir up one another to be and toward as a church. Let me encourage you to press into these things. If you're hearing this and you know as a part of, uh, you've been around, you're part of this church, and you know the Lord is leading you, I need to take a step toward serving or being in a small group or um, pursuing covenant partnership, let me give you an action step that you can take this morning. That connect card Brian told us about, you can pull that out, just put your contact info, check the box that corresponds with what the Lord is leading you to. There's a red basket uh, on that back table. You can just drop it in there. We'll follow up. Again, the goal is not to call you to a program. The goal is to help you to pursue these things as a faithful follower of Jesus in the context of a local church. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you can see these habits of grace covered right here in these verses in Hebrews. The passage in Hebrews encourages us to draw near to God with confidence, right? This is what we do in prayer. We draw near to the Lord. We come boldly to his throne based on the work of Christ. He encourages us to hold fast to the gospel without wavering. This highlights the importance of God's word in our life. We are a people of the book. And so this, let us hold fast to this confession. And Hebrews encourages us to stir up one another to love and good works. This is fellowship. We draw near to God together. We hold fast to the gospel together. And we provoke one another to love and good works. Genuine fellowship says, I need you and you need me and we need Jesus. So let's pursue him together. This is the beauty of God's church, his people loving Jesus and one another in such a way that the gospel is put on display to the world that many might see and believe and belong. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the great high priest and he is the good shepherd who is gently, lovingly, faithfully gathering a community that is deeply devoted to him and to one another. What a privilege we have. What a joy. Old Town Church, may we be that kind of community. Praise be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who has made a way. And we thank you that you are creating a community, calling us to be part of your family. Thank you for the church and all of its mess and difficulty and challenge. What a beautiful thing that you are calling a people to yourself and to unity with one another. And so, Lord, give us a greater picture of the Lord Jesus. Give us a greater picture of the church. And lead us, teach us how we might be faithful as a part of your people. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.